Hi everyone. Welcome to the Desi Crime podcast. I'm Aryan, your host for this episode, and I'm Ishvara. Before we start the case for today, I want all of you to go over to our YouTube channel, the Desi Crime channel and subscribe. It's free. See, we're not even asking you for money. We have season 1 out now. All the cases on our podcast that you loved, get ready to experience them in a whole new way. So go subscribe to the Desi Crime YouTube channel. We'd like to thank our newest patrons Bistrel, Naisa, Abigail and Vikram Kapoor. Your contributions mean the absolute world to us. Ah, the beach. Volleyball, tank tops, scantily clothed and sizzlingly tanned bodies frolicking around. Boy, does it make for a great day. Lay out the picnic mat and the SPF 50 sunscreens. It's time to take a break from the city's hustle and bustle. That's the promise a beach holds. The sandy shore and sea combined are the archetype of a relaxing rendezvous spot. And while beaches in India may not always live up to this fantastical imagery, let's be honest, our beaches can be tarnished with trash and toiletries. Take Juhu in Mumbai, for example. But beaches in Australia do live up to this image. Any quote travel to Australia advertisement broadcast on television displays stills of the Great Barrier Reef and the pearl white beaches. Like I said, volleyball, tank tops, scantily clothed and sizzlingly tanned bodies can be found frolicking around. But on 22nd October 2018, a body was found in one such Australian beach. The difference was this wasn't a tanned person frolicking around. In fact, this body did not appear to move at all. This is the story of the day that redefined a beach for the residents of Queensland, Australia. This is the story of Toya accordingly. back to a good old classic desi crime episode ishvara so have you heard of toya accordingly the name does ring a bell aryan and i know that this case trended recently but i didn't dive much deeper into it but i know for a fact that i had heard about this case even before it trended last month but that's honestly about it you tell me who is toya accordingly i'll get to that question all in good time but at the moment to which i'm taking you all back right now a more pressing question nags toya's mom not who but where is toya accordingly it is the night of 21st october 2018 toya's mom vanessa gardner is getting ready to slide into bed and call it a night at around 9 pm just as vanessa wound up her bedtime routine she hears a knock on a bedroom door it is her son jack jack is toya's stepbrother There was something urgent about this knock, something unsettling. Call it motherly senses or hindsight, but Vanessa recalls feeling a shiver run down her spine even though she had no idea what her son meant to relate to her. Just moments ago, Jack had gotten off the phone with a man named Marco Heidenreich. Marco was Toya's boyfriend of 2 years, someone her family knew intimately. He wasn't a stranger. If anything, he was becoming a part of the family. 
a call from him at 9 p.m. while unexpected wasn't out of the ordinary. It was more so what he said to Jack that raised the alarm than the hour at which he called them. He said, "Toya has been gone since the afternoon and is not traceable." Marco and Toya live together in the city of Cairns. Cairns is in the far north Queensland region and happens to be the 14th most populated city in Australia. According to Marco, she left for a beach at 2:30 p.m. that day and he hadn't heard from her since. Going to the beach alone was well textbook Toya, nothing out of the blue. Beaches in Australia at large and in Queensland in particular are gorgeous with a capital G. In fact, Cairns, the city in which the 24-year-old Toya was living, which also happens to be the one in which she grew up, is almost like the Florida of Australia in some sense. It is a tropical environment, very different from the orange-hued, deserty Australian outback we often think of when we think of Australia. She would often take her dog Indy to beaches around the city for some well-deserved me time. Listen, if I was her and I had so many beaches in my proximity, I too would spend a ton of so-called <laughs> me time at one of them. The one she had gone to on 21st October was the Wangeti beach, just a 38-kilometer drive from their residence. Wangeti too was a beautiful beach. For a second, let's transport ourselves into Toya's shoes and visualize what it was like to be there. The state of Queensland's website describes that beach as, quote, "Local secret Wangeti Beach is just north of Palm Cove in tropical North Queensland. Running from Slipcliff Point to Redcliff Point, the 4 kilometers of almost straight coastline has no facilities, but only a car park on either end of the beach and a stretch of highway connecting them." When visiting the Wangeti beach it is a must stop by the southern end as this raw patch of stunning and untouched coastline has been naturally eroded leaving a quirky pebble stone covered section of the beach end quote think about that that's what Toya was doing checking out this unique scenery but by now hours had gone by and even though Wangeti was a quaint and quiet beach it could get a little too quaint and a little too quiet sometimes and this worried marco not only was toya still at a beach that was hidden in the nooks and crannies of queensland the sun had set by this point the high tide was on its way that is an unsafe time to be at a beach anyway when the waves get bigger and crash closer inland to worsen his anxieties toya wasn't responding to her phone patience grew into worry and worry grew into fear Aryan when we hear these stories in hindsight it feels like all right that's the moment you should call the cops because we know we're listening to a crime story and shit's about to go down but honestly i have such a hard time extrapolating cases like these to my own life mm-hmm. and wondering when is the right time to panic when is the right time to alert the authorities when is the right time to go on a hunt to go on a search i have no idea and ishwara i mean As much as I would love to brag about my travel escapades, I haven't been to Australia and unfortunately you have. Are the beaches yeah. of Australia ones where you would want to spend hours and hours? No, certainly Australian beaches are absolutely gorgeous and this one sounds particularly beautiful because it sounds quiet and quaint and much prettier than the really really busy and commercialized mm-hmm. beaches of Australia. So, yeah, they're very pretty. And it's that quietness that induced some amount of anxiety into Marco Ishwara for which reason he called Toya's friends and family to ask mm-hmm. about her whereabouts but he was met with the same disappointing response from all of them we don't know where she is 
In a matter of minutes, this turned from a, well, let me check in on my girlfriend, to the police being called for a full-fledged investigation. This is when Vanessa found out that her daughter was missing. Of course, despite being told that she isn't picking up her phone, Vanessa must have tried calling her daughter. I'm sure she hoped that maybe, just maybe, Toya picked up her desperate mother's call. That would have been futile. The phone was unavailable. Despite that wrangling sensation of suffocation, Vanessa sprung into action. She reached out to her ex-husband, Toya's biological father, Troy, and asked him to help find their daughter as well. This was a all-hands-on-deck kind of situation. Brothers, uncles, aunts began reaching out to folks and sharing her pictures on social media. By 10.50pm on 21st October, eight and a half hours since Toya went missing, her family officially reported her as a missing person. I should have something about missing person cases is particularly freaky because it's something we've all experienced in a minuscule way, right? We've all had that experience where a younger cousin of ours is hiding in a cupboard and the entire family freaks out. And for the <laughs> next 10 minutes, you're shouting their name, you're running through the streets, you're calling neighbors up only to find that that silly bastard is sleeping and, you know, besides silverware in a cupboard. Right. But that anxiety for that 10 minutes is so gut-wrenching. Imagine what it would be like, that uncertainty for Toya's families and the many families like Toya's that experience such a situation. No, I completely agree. There is something terrifying about missing person cases. Mm -hmm. And you all, Aran and I actually discuss this often. The missing person cases that we cover on this podcast give us more sleepless nights than even the horrendous murder ones. Just the unanswered questions, the mystery that lingers, the lack of closure, it that's what I think really, really gets to the victims yeah. in these families and to us that read and talk about these cases. Something about cliffhangers and stories and in real life is a sort Absolutely. of yeah. human need. Um no matter what the narrative is. But despite the, you know, promptness of her family, nightfall at a desolate beach is not a suitable time to look for someone. It is pitch black at Wangeti by midnight. One cannot tell where the sand ends and the sea begins. It's simply too dangerous and too ineffective to look for a single person at that hour. Think of it like looking for a needle in a haystack if the lights were turned off and there was a chance you could drown. Both the family and investigators agreed to commence their search at the first crack of dawn. 21st October became the 22nd of October. As the night sky transformed into a darker blue with a sliver of sunlight gleaming through, 16 hours had passed by since Toya was missing. Outside Wangeti Beach were Troy, Vanessa, their respective children, aunts, uncles and the Queensland police all on one mission, to answer the question, where is Toya accordingly? And that brings us to a question you asked us right at the beginning, Ishwarya. Not where, but who is Toya accordingly? Toya Jade accordingly was born on June 14, 1994 to loving parents Troy and Vanessa. As loving as they were as parents, as husband and wife, not so much. Early in Toya's life, her parents divorced. Her father married a woman named Jade and her mother married Darren Gardner, with whom Vanessa would have two more kids, Jack and Leah. Funnily enough, Ishwara, whenever I start a case introduction with a description of a broken family, you as a listener might be primed to wonder, oh no, another case of attachment issues and childhood trauma. Well, if you did think so, 
here's a healthy reminder that statistical averages in psychology cannot be used to analyze individuals, and certainly not Toya, who is the diametric exception to the rule. While growing up in Cairns, Queensland, Toya treated her parents' divorce as an excuse to enjoy the love of two separate happy families, <laughs> the Cordingleys and the Gardners. And if you think this is one of, you know, those one-off instances of a naive child conjuring reasons to be happy, boy are you wrong, because happiness was integral to Toya's soul. In all the cases I've ever covered for Desi Krameshwara, I have not come across a person I so strongly relate with. Toya oozed love and happiness. One of her first jobs was at an animal refuge center called Paws and Claws. She was a kennel attendant, essentially taking care of rescue dogs. And her former employer, counselor Michael Kerr, recalls her time fondly in an interview with Cairns Post and ABC. I quote, I knew her and her housemate when she was working for me. She was an absolutely loyal employee of Paws and Claws. She was one of the most beautiful souls. She adored animals. She was on a different level with animals than humans. She had something special with animals. Even the troubled dogs would calm down in her presence. An aggressive dog would come in and within 20 minutes, she was rolling around on the floor and playing with it." End quote. When she began dating Marco Heidenreich, the two bonded over their love for animals. Marco too had several dogs and was fond of, I should I get this, snakes. I have never heard of anything more Australian than that. Ashwara, I, I mean, I don't get it. What's with white people and crazy hobbies? Like, you know, you love a normal animal. No, I know not to make this racial or anything, but really, white people will pick up cockroaches and they'll yeah. treat snakes like pet dogs and they'll have lizards as pets. I would yeah. freak out. I can't. Just the just the audacity and yeah, the like guts. why would why would you be into snakes? Why would you go against every evolutionary instinct <laughs> to voluntarily jeopardize your health? I, I'm sure Darwin is disappointed. <laughs> And yes, if you can't tell, I am scared of snakes. Like, I'm really scared of snakes. But that's not the point. The point is, the two bonded over their mutual love for animals. And among the many pets they kept together, one of them was a massive German Shepherd, Great Dane and Mastiff mix with the unassuming name Indy. And yes, Indy was the very same dog that accompanied Toya on October 21st, 2018. Not only was Toya missing, as a function of that, so was Indy. The dog's whereabouts could potentially lead the family and investigators to Toya. After working at Paws and Claws, Toya found a job at a pharmacy called Whole Life Pharmacy and Health Foods in Earlville. Earlville is a suburb of Cairns, thus she remained for the majority of her life in and around where she was raised. But don't let that mislead you into believing that she was a small-town girl. She is best described by her relative Dave Trimble, who told the Brisbane Times the following, quote, Toya was slightly different to the normal, everyday Cairns girl. The way she dressed, the colour of her hair. She was into fairies. She had fairy gardens at the house. She absolutely loved paws and claws, as in cats and dogs. She loved her car, loved the freedom it gave her to take her dogs out. The day she got her licence was a big turning point in her life. It meant a lot to her. She would also dress beautifully for the beach and she would always have a dog with her. End quote. 
Toya might not have ventured out and seen other parts of the world, but her gung-ho attitude towards life was evident in her love for family and friends, but also apparent in her appearance. Her hair changed colors more frequently than a chameleon. From hot pink to purple to blindingly blonde, her hair oscillated 24/7. And that was Toya, someone who yearned for freedom and went out to earn that freedom. My guess is she gets that from her mom. Vanessa is similar in that she too has a funky hairstyle and a bunch of tattoos which might look out of place on a 40-year-old, but to me that is just somebody living their best life. This was evidently a happy family until October 22nd, 2018, when the search of Toya accordingly began. With the sun barely over the horizon and daylight barely peeking over it, the folks gathered at Wangeti Beach switched on their mobile lights and brought flashlights to begin looking for clues. Almost immediately, a discovery was made. Toya's 2009 Mitsubishi Lancer was found at the southern entrance of the beach. Her blue car served as an aspirant to the family. It brought momentary relief, assuring them that at least their daughter was still at the beach. Upon glancing inside the car, the aspirant's effect weaned off and the pain resurged. After all, there was no trace of Toya or Indy inside the car. The search continued. The sun began to aid in the search as it steered over the horizon. Everyone was checking each crevice possible to the human eye for any sign, any clue, any witness, or any hope. And in doing so, Vanessa came across a bush. It caught her eye and she felt like there was something in the bush, and lo and behold, in the bush was a familiar face. Indy The following audio you will be hearing is an interview of Vanessa with 60 Minutes Australia detailing that moment she found Indy in a random bush. I looked into the bush and I saw Indy just sitting there and I thought, "Oh my god, I found her." Did the dog bark? She didn't make a sound. We had been calling out all morning and she didn't bark or make a sound. I expected to see Toya just just near her, held up somewhere asleep having her little time out. But when you got closer to Indy, you realized something else, didn't you? Yes. She'd been tied up so tight she couldn't even lay down, and she was I couldn't untie her. Um and I'm thinking Toya wouldn't do that. She wouldn't have tied Indy up. Did your heart sink? Yes, it did. Yep. That's a gut-wrenching clip, Ishwara. But it begs the question. How does a German shepherd, great dane and mastiff mixed breed get tied up and doesn't howl till its vocal cords are completely gone because these are some of the most daunting breeds out there. We're not talking about a chihuahua or a golden retriever. We're talking about a dog that scares the living crap out of a human. One explanation is that Toya did that herself. But as you know, she's an ardent animal lover. She's worked for a rescue and this is her own dog. how could she torture indy so that theory is implausible the other likely explanation that popped up in vanessa's head was surely that the dog must have known the perpetrator that's why it unflinchingly obeyed orders but at this moment the dog's motives weren't a priority as vanessa said if indy was here there's a good chance toya is probably somewhere near the search continued 
in calling people all night and using the flashlight on her phone, Vanessa's phone died. She headed back to the car to charge her phone, eager to resume her search for her daughter. It was 7:45 a.m. The sun, now fully risen, did more than any investigator could do. Not only did it shine its bright hydrogen flashlight onto the beach, its gravitational effect led to a low tide, reeling back all the water that had washed up onto the shore. As the water receded back into the ocean, much like a velvet curtain at a theater being drawn, it unveiled the horrific surprise it was hiding. While Vanessa recharged her phone, Troy continued searching. In the distance, he spotted something poking out of the wet sand. As he walked towards the thing for closer inspection, he realized it wasn't a thing poking out. It was a foot, a human foot, Toya's foot. 800 meters away from where the car was parked, Toya Cordingley's body was found. Her body was buried in a sand dune. Troy did not know what to do. Unearthing her body revealed horrific stab wounds, making her cause of death apparent to all. The heinous nature of the injury stamped an image in her father's mind that will never be washed away. He had to physically be dragged away from the scene by family and police. Troy later said, quote, "Toya is my only child. Finding her body has burnt an indelible image in my mind. It is something a father should never have to suffer." End quote. Meanwhile, Vanessa was exempted from this torture since she was by the car. Her daughter's death was communicated by her son Jack. Till date, due to the nature of the stabbings, Vanessa wasn't allowed to see her own daughter's corpse to prevent trauma. At this point, it doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to figure out what was on everyone's mind at the moment. That was who in the hell killed Toya. The investigation began expeditiously. A perimeter was set. The Queensland Police in conjunction with the state emergency services used not only their personnel but volunteers from Cairns and other parts of Queensland in combing through the beach for clues. And sure, when I say volunteers, I mean hundreds and hundreds of volunteers. This wow. this case had jolted far north Queensland and especially her native city of Cairns. They wanted answers. Who could have committed such a gruesome act against somebody who had no enemies? The community demanded answers. After all, it had lost one of its pillars. Megan Amor, Toya's best friend, beautifully sums up her lasting impact. Ashwara, could you read it for us? I can't believe this. I refuse to believe this. I drove to find you. I thought we were going to find you being the environment lover you are. I was so sure of it. I'm so sorry. I'm so frustrated and I've been walking around the house grieving and then thinking, it's not real. It's not my Toya. It's someone else. I wanted to be like you. I wanted to be the gypsy soul you were. I wanted to be flawless and not just the beauty you had on the outside, but the beauty you had on the inside. You were different to everyone. You followed what you believed in. You had nobody hating you. You'd live life to the fullest and you respected everyone else's decisions. You had such a big heart and beautiful loving family you adored. End quote. The community came together Ashwarya. Over 400 people cramped into a 300 seater chapel for one thing and one thing only. 
to celebrate Toya's life, one that was characterized by love. As her uncle succinctly said, quote, Today is not a day to be angry. Today is not a day to hate. Her life was cut short, but was full of love. End quote. With all that said and done, while the community and family grieved, the investigators had a task at hand. Emotion had to be kept aside. Facts had to be gathered. Divers were called in from Brisbane and forensic dogs were called in to detect any scent, any trace of another human lurking in that perimeter. CCTV footage of nearby highways was combed through. DNA was collected. Among a whole host of some pretty incredible police work, even the police was left with two big questions. Firstly, Ishwara, studies suggest that 90-94% to of all homicides are committed by people who know the victim. And a majority of the time, the homicide is perpetrated by the male partner. Sadly, in this case, that was Marco Heidenreich, her boyfriend. But that didn't completely make sense. Firstly, because he was one of the first to be worried about Toya's whereabouts. And secondly, friends and family knew that Toya was very happy in this relationship. Then there's the father Troy or her new stepfather. But despite the statistical probability that a man might have done it, there simply was no motive for any of these three to go to these extents. And the second question that perplexed the police was the state of the dog, Indy. Why didn't Indy attack the murderer? Or better yet, why didn't the murderer kill Indy? Why did the murderer risk letting the dog live who easily could have barked and compromised the murderer's location? The cops were puzzled and no simple answer was available. In the meanwhile, a semi-big breakthrough was made. The alibis of everyone in the family checked out. There was not a shred of evidence convicting anyone in Toya's family or her boyfriend Marco. And while this answered one set of questions, it opened up another Pandora's box altogether. If this crime wasn't committed by someone they know, who the hell would commit such a random crime? Such scenarios are often attributed to serial killers who often pick their victims randomly or serial rapists. The investigation by the cops began as a sexually related crime, but that was merely circumstantial. A woman alone on the beach, you know, that kind of a reasoning. But the investigation had to continue. The public demanded answers. So given the cops didn't have a motive to work on, they cast their net extremely wide. This included DNA testing folks who lived near the scene of the crime on a voluntary basis to help rule out suspects. So instead of looking for a suspect, they opted for an alternative strategy, eliminating suspects and whittling that number down to one. This was obviously going to be a much more difficult task, cumbersome and inefficient, but Queensland police kept at it. They didn't have any other option. The first thing they did was they traced Toya's steps that day. What did 21st October look like for her? Using CCTV and dashcam footage, police were able to verify that on the morning of that day, Toya was working at the pharmacy on Bar Street and there are photographs of her handing out camel milk free samples to customers. Next, CCTV cameras also revealed that she went to Rusty's Market between noon and 1pm. We have uploaded a still of that footage on our Instagram at Desi Crime. 
She returned home after the grocery stop, let Marco know about her beach bonanza, she took her blue Mitsubishi and her mixed breed dog and headed out. And that's the last anyone ever saw her. So now the cops established a timeline. Awesome, right? That's great. But that didn't lead them to anything concrete. They had to go back to the drawing board and continue chipping away at cars that drove on the highway that day. People who lived close to the crime scene, folks who were reported for sexual assault at beaches nearby in the past. Just a very wide net of possible scenarios. Nothing concrete by this point. The cops were just rummaging through lists and lists and lists of people. But don't mistake this Herculean effort as shabby or clunky. It might not be the most graceful investigation, but it sure as hell required a lot of work. The dog predicament was also answered when a close family friend shared with the police that Indy was very well trained and not raised to be an aggressive dog despite its genetic predisposition. Ashwarya, the thing is, when you throw enough darts into the dark, one usually hits bullseye. The cops, after a long-winded effort, hit their bullseye. The Captain Cook Highway, which connects Smithfield and Port Douglas, was of particular interest to the police. Now, this is the highway that is close to the beach. They requested dash cam footage from drivers, dash cam being the, you know, the pre-installed cameras that are in the car, and from the drivers who drove the highway between noon and 7pm on the day of the murder. They also asked folks who had driven to Wangeti Beach if they had seen something suspicious. That is so much effort on part of the cops and sure it's not the most efficient method of investigating by any standard, but it's so much better than sitting around and doing nothing and just waiting for a lead. Yeah, like hoping something falls into your lap, which doesn't exactly. happen. because You know, I heard this quote somewhere and I, I wrote this down the other day, but action produces information and the cops are engaging yeah. in action which meaningfully produces information. Like, Can you imagine how much time it must take to get the dash cam footage of individual cars and then pass through hours and hours of, you know, multiple cars are on a highway? No, it sounds crazy. Even voluntary DNA testing of people living in the vicinity yes. must be so much work. Yes, but I'm very yes. impressed. Yeah, this is incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. It honestly is. In fact, Ashwara, in a press conference, Detective Inspector Sonia Smith told reporters, quote, We are particularly interested in the time between 2pm and 3pm on Sunday, October 21st. Any footage between Ellis Beach and the turn-off to Port Douglas, both north and south, we'd like to remind people to look around in their community and think about anyone in their community since last Sunday that has any injuries that can't be accounted for, movements that can't be accounted for between 12pm and 7pm, and anyone with damaged or unaccounted for clothing. End quote. Then, in November 2018, just a month into the investigation, the police started asking the public for very specific kinds of information. For example, the police released a video of 70 cars that travelled the Cook Highway I was telling you about between 5.02pm and 5.07pm, literally a five-minute window. And the cops asked all 70 car drivers in that five-minute wow. video to identify themselves. It seemed like the police were onto a definitive timeline and what they were trying to do was simply fill the gaps, but that they had a suspect in sight. But again, they hadn't declared anything by this point. And as you may have it, after hours and hours and hours and 
hours of footage being discerned from one to another, the suspects had been chiseled down. Chiseled down all the way to one suspect. Six months after the crime, they had a prime suspect, according to Police Commissioner Ian Stewart. The police were able to pinpoint three variables, dashcam footage, geolocation of Toya's phone, and one car, just one car that was at the location of Toya's phone. Furthermore, the same car, according to CCTV footage, can be found driving erratically that afternoon. To worsen things, that car wasn't registered to that area and had no apparent reason for being near Wangeti Beach. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, the person to whom that car was registered left Australia the very no. next day. Guess where he went, Ishwarya? He went to India. Oh my God. Oh my God, this person is Indian, isn't he? Meet Rajwinder Singh a 34-year-old Indian-origin man who had moved to Queensland several years ago from Punjab. <laughs> he was a geriatric nurse at a hospital in Innisfail, a city that is 90 kilometers south of Cairns. Sources report that in the lead-up to 21st October, Rajwinder was acting weird according to his co-workers. He had taken a long time off from work and was reportedly depressed. The only grounds on which the police sought to question him was the erratic driving and overlap of phone and car location. You know, nothing nothing comprehensive. But when the cop showed up to his family's house in Innisfail, they only met his two children, one of whom was a newborn, and his wife. She told the cops that Rajwinder had fled home on, you guessed it, 21st October and not called back his own family since. The police knew that they were on the right track. Further investigation revealed that Rajwinder flew from Queensland to Sydney on the 21st of October, stayed with his sister for a night and booked the first flight out to Punjab on the 22nd of October. Witnesses report seeing scratches and bite marks on him as well, further corroborating the evidence. And with the correspondence of the Punjab police, Australian authorities verified that he was in fact living in rural Punjab with his family. What sealed the deal, however, was the DNA found on the crime scene matched that of Rajwinder. The only problem, he's an Indian citizen in India for a crime against an Australian citizen in Australia. Now, no matter how guilty he may appear, international extradition is not the fastest process. If you have ever applied for a visa to Australia or America, do you remember how difficult and long that was? Now, imagine instead of a visa, two governments had to exchange a murderer. It's long, it's litigious, it's painstakingly slow. So to Toya's family, who knew their daughter's murderer was hiding in India, the slowness of the justice burnt. But Australian authorities wanted to be cautious. They wanted to have smack-dab evidence and documentation to give to the Indian authorities to prevent any kind of legal drama. And that is exactly what they did. After all that wait in 2021, after two and a half years of the murder, the Australian Attorney General prepared a brief of extradition. That's the name of the legal document which formally initiates an extradition. It's called the brief of extradition. And they submitted the brief of extradition to their counterparts in India. Now, the question was how to find Rajwinder. Well, 
that was easier than you would have thought. The answer? Money. Just last month in November of 2022, Queensland announced a $1 million award for anyone who finds Rajwinder. And not just finds Rajwinder Ashwarya, provides any information about his whereabouts. Get this, this is a record for the Queensland state in terms of a bounty. I was going to say, I don't think I have ever heard of a government award of that much money. Imagine, just imagine thinking you can commit some like random small town girl in Australia and maybe the government will sort of forget they won't be able to crack the case. <laughs> you can flee back to India and suddenly there's a $1 million amount on your head. That's crazy. And get this, Ashwara, $1 million is a lot in Australia. But with the parity of currencies adjusted, it's even more valuable in India. It's worth around 5.6 crore rupees. And sure as hell, in less than a month of the bounty being announced, Indian authorities and Australian special agents in India were tipped off that Rajwinder Singh was now part of a religious group. He was no longer clean-shaven and had lost a ton of weight. He had a scruffy beard and a turban. But most importantly, the insider leaked information that Rajwinder Singh was heading to Delhi for a doctor's appointment. And that was that. Just as he got off in Delhi on November 25th, 2022, just a few weeks ago, authorities nabbed the internationally wanted fugitive and threw him behind bars in Tihar jail. He has made a few short appearances to the court in this brief while, and sources report that he actually confessed to the crime. Upon being asked why he killed her, his answer was, well, I don't know how to qualify this answer, Ashwara. I want to say his answer wasn't satisfying, but is there any answer for murdering an innocent 24-year-old that is satisfying? But I know you will be particularly disappointed and gutted by his answer. His reasoning was that he had had a fight with his wife and had gone to the beach to cool down. He just so happened to carry a kitchen knife and some fruits when Indy started barking at him. That led to a heated argument between the unstable Singh and Toya. Unable to control his emotions allegedly, he, in a frenzy, stabbed her with the very knife he had for fruits. That is his reasoning. And I'm not sure if I buy that. I don't know if you buy that. I don't know if I buy that or not. If that is true, obviously Mm -hmm. there's no good reason for murder. But there are some reasons at least where you feel like your child or your girlfriend or your wife died perhaps fighting for something meaningful. Or there was some change that came from their death Mm -hmm. and society improved. This is completely useless, completely random. Someone lost their life for literally nothing. I couldn't agree more, Ashwara, which is why I'm not coming to any, you know, closure here. I'm going to wait to see how this, you know, plays out. And just for our audience, the next steps in this investigation are primarily bureaucratic. Indian courts will now determine if Singh will receive a fair trial in Australia. That's his right as an Indian citizen, and it is basic extradition protocol. And even if they do decide that, yes, Australia will give him a fair trial, Singh can always appeal to higher courts and delay the process. So, with that said, justice in some form has been served. We are yet to see its full effect. But to be clear, Rajwinder Singh is still innocent until proven guilty. But will the right authorities ever get the chance to prove his guilt? That remains to be seen. In the meanwhile, 
Vanessa still misses her sometimes blonde, sometimes pink-haired kid. At the age of twenty-four, <laughs> that's what Toya was—a loving, freedom-seeking kid who lost it all for what? For being a woman and walking down a beach for some me time. That's the cost of freedom in the twenty-first century. So. Whether it is early morning jogs in your apartment or midday strolls on the beach or late night commute from work, always remember: stay safe, stay crazy, and stay desi.